0: This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. So what can be done? How can we work together to preserve distinctively Canadian views and protect access to proud local voices that may be silenced soon? We very much consider this committee an ally in our quest. But be clear, we are asking the government to be an ally not for a bailout of the Canadian newspaper industry. As this committee prepares recommendations to take back to the House, we respectfully submit that there are things that the government can do to help preserve our industry. That was Paul Godfrey, then the CEO and publisher of Post Media, speaking to the Canadian Heritage Committee in 2016 at the start of what would become a long campaign for government support for Canadian media. It started in that appearance with calls for more government advertising and policies to encourage others to advertise in Canadian media. Over the years, it would expand to direct government support, tax credits, and most recently, mandated payments for links found on internet platforms such as Google and Facebook. Godfrey's comments come to mind as this past week, Bill C-18 passed the House and Senate and received royal assent. As I record this, Meta has confirmed that it will be blocking news sharing on its Facebook and Instagram platforms, given the economic costs and uncertainty with the law, while Google is reportedly in discussions with the government about whether regulations might be crafted in a way to avoid a similar outcome. I've covered Bill C-18 extensively on this podcast and on my website, but the history behind the legislation and associated lobbying provides valuable context for the current situation. Mark Edge has written several books on the newspaper industry, and his most recent work, The Post-Media Effect, helps make sense of Bill C-18 as a continuum of lobbying for government support that has resulted in hundreds of millions of dollars. He joins me on the podcast to discuss. Mark, welcome to the
1: podcast. Thank you.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for having, for coming on. You know, we're recording this less than 24 hours after Bill C 18, the Online News Act, received royal assent. And the responses from the two targeted internet companies were pretty swift. Meta saying hours before actually royal assent that it would move ahead with blocking news sharing on its platform, something that has been consistent really from day one in saying. And reports suggest that Google entered into some last-minute discussions with Canadian Heritage to see if a compromise could be possible. As we record this, uh, there haven't been any further reports on on how those discussions have gone. Now, I was really pleased that that you were able to come on the podcast because your new book, The Post-Media Effect, I think provides truly invaluable context for how we got here and for understanding what's taking place right now with respect to this legislation and, and where industry is at. In fact, I think you know anyone who takes the time to read it can see how this result really is the result of years of lobbying by the industry, and in some instances, largely driven by a desire to keep really the interest payments flowing, um, in one case, largely to hedge funds. So I want to unpack that history, but Before we get going, really can't avoid asking you for for your take on the bill and the responses that we've seen.
1: Well, it's been quite disturbing, you know, to watch the whole uh, process unfold and to read your blog entries, which have chronicled it uh, extremely well. It's it's quite obvious that the fix has been in for more than a year now. It's been kind of like watching a slow motion uh, train wreck. You can't look away but you know what the the end result is going to be i think it's an example of a government deciding on its policy objectives and then using whatever is in its power to make it happen i think it's very bad legislation and will backfire disastrously it's a classic lose 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 as i have put it Uh, canadians will lose the the ability to share links with their friends on facebook News media will lose page views uh, for those uh, links that uh, aren't shared, and uh, I imagine that uh, Facebook will also lose out on uh, the opportunity to uh, collect some uh, data on us. So I think it's very misguided legislation.
0: Yeah, no, I think I think we certainly agree on on the the notion that th- there are no winners here, and that that at the end of the day, this is it's not great for Facebook. It's definitely not great for Canadians who use Facebook. Sometimes to buy news and click through on it, it's not great for the news entities. And I don't think it's great for the government that, you know, clearly had certain expectations and uh, I think made a bad bet about whether or not all of this might have been a bluff or not. Now, as I mentioned off the top, your book places this entire situation. I think into some really valuable historical context. I, I know that your work goes back much further, but I wanted to start where you do in this particular book in 2016, And a post-media, of course, one of the dominant players in Canada when it comes to conventional print newspaper sector, faced with $672 million in debt to U.S. hedge funds that you indicate was generating $82 million in operating revenue but sending $72 million of that to service the debt, right back to the hedge fund. Now, it seems to me that that lies at the heart of two key developments, the desire for that company to cut costs Uh, as well as search for other sources of revenue and much of that search leading it to government in the hope for government intervention. Can you expand a bit on on where we were at that time and and how that kind of sparked the sort of lobbying effort and the legislative reform that we've experienced over the last number of years?
1: Yes, well, the story sort of starts with the recession of uh, uh, 2008-2009, which left many media companies overextended with debt, and in Canada, it was uh, worse than in uh, other countries because Convergence was the, you know, the newly government-approved business model which soon went down in flames, particularly with the bankruptcy of Ken West Global Communications, which owned the third television network, Global TV, and had bought the Southern newspaper chain, which I used to work for, for a, a tremendous price of about $4 billion. And so it was heavily in debt and went bankrupt as a result of this debt, which the US hedge funds had bought up at pennies on the dollar on the bond market, uh, and then used uh, it to take over the newspaper division of Can West, the former Southern chain. And uh, they did the same thing in the US with several Different chains. I think they now own about seven of the top ten in the U.S. and the top two in Canada because after they took over the Southern chain, they soon bought the Sun Media chain. But the, the money-making scam is that they've kept the rest of that debt, hundreds of millions, uh, on the books of the company so that it has to pay them first, not the shareholders, but the bondholders... And uh, they managed to keep the company in the black for about six years until about 2016, uh, when uh, it was in danger of going bankrupt again. And so the hedge funds forgave about half of the debt they held. And uh, that, that worked for about another six years. But then uh, last year they went into the red again and have been uh, kept alive only by the 595 billion dollar government bailout they got in 2019 which runs out this year so they have been uh, demanding for the past uh, year or so that Google and Facebook bail them out which is where we are now
0: Face saddled with significant debts they they look for either cutting costs uh, or for some forgiveness of debt as you mentioned but uh, notably government intervention and support through legislative reform in different ways. And I think that the starting point that you you identify for that is the Shattered Mirror report. You know, how did that come about? Who was behind it? And what were some of the recommendations coming out of that report?
1: Well, what happened was after uh, Post Media bought the Sun Media chain, they had uh, both daily newspapers in four of Canada's six largest uh, cities which caused some concern but uh, they promised that they would keep separate uh, newsrooms that didn't last very long uh, in 2016 they merged their newsrooms in ottawa edmonton calgary and vancouver and i knew from my research on the partnership between the uh, vancouver sun and province which was my doctoral dissertation and my first book I knew that they had promised from the very beginning in 1957 to keep separate newsrooms forever. So I went uh, to see uh, Hetty Fry uh, here in Vancouver. She's the MP for Vancouver Center and she was as outraged as I was. And uh, a few weeks later, the Liberal government had just been elected in the fall of 2015. A few weeks later, she convened hearings in Ottawa, which sat for about uh, a year and its report wasn't issued until the middle of 2017, which is quite harshly critical of Post Media and urged ownership reform and also some industry assistance. In the meantime, however, her committee was supposed to travel across the country to get the situation on the ground in the summer of 2016, but the Funds apparently weren't available in its budget, so that function was farmed out to this think tank, the Public Policy Forum, which was duly headed by Edward Greenspawn, a former editor of the Globe and Mail, and it did a report which, well, let's just say, it was not harshly critical of Post Media, hardly mentioned problems like ownership concentration or foreign ownership and was Filled with misinformation, but somehow became the gospel in the industry.
0: It's interesting that the origins really come out, even out of a committee process. And uh, Dr. Fry is still today the chair of the Standing Committee on Canadian Heritage. Uh, what, what are, what were some of the recommendations, though, or, or particularly ones that might have ultimately played into actual government reform?
1: Well, the the report urged. Um, uh, government aid for the industry, painted a very dire picture of what might happen uh, if it didn't get it. And so uh, the first thing that happened was the local journalism initiative in 2018, $50 million over five years to improve reporting in underserved communities. But the publishers kind of turned their nose up at that. They called it a Band-Aid Solution: They weren't uh, concerned so much about uh, filling gaps in underserved uh, communities. They, they wanted a full bailout, and they put on a full court press to get one. The lobbying pressure became quite intense at one point. The, most of the major dailies across the country ran blank front pages, except for the Globe and Mail, which was a notable exception. But Torstar was front and center in this campaign, as well as Postmedia. But Postmedia kind of stays in the background and lets uh, the Industry Association News Media Canada do most of its talking.
0: Okay, so the, the local journalism initiative, the LJI, kind of the government's first response coming out of this process, it put some money on the table, but you suggest that the industry isn't all that impressed so lobbying intensifies that leads as you point out in the book to a series of larger policies in the 2019 budget so we can see this playing out over several years most notably the labor journalism tax credit you know what what's the what's the value associated with with some of those reforms and is the industry satisfied at this point in time with the government starts putting some more significant money on the table
1: well, the bailout was $595 million over five years, announced in late 2018, took effect uh, the following year, and is running out at the end of this year. And uh, notably at the time, Post Media head uh, Paul Godfrey said, if we can't do it in five years, we're probably not going to do it, which means he's talking about the transition to a digital Publication. Other newspapers have been fairly successful in this, most notably the Globe and Mail, which has uh, hundreds of thousands of subscribers. Um, There are three parts to the bailout, most notably the tax credits for what are called qualified Canadian journalism organizations, and they get a 25% uh, rebate basically on the salary. Uh, of the uh, journalists that they employ up to a certain limit and there's also a provision for media to convert to non-profit status which a few have done but not too many and then there's also a small uh, tax credit for news uh, consumers about 75 dollars a year i think and and that all uh, runs out this year
0: interesting that that many of these things are scheduled to run out I think many will be following to see whether or not they get renewed or not. Um, But as you articulate or chronicle in the book, publishers continue to look for more. And uh, this time they set their sights uh, on big tech, on the Internet companies, using Australia as a model, looking for what is in effect mandated payments for links through a compulsory negotiation system. And that that is in effect what the government has now passed with Bill C-18. You have some thoughts on how that process played out, how we moved from, you know, as you suggest, starting with a think tank report and, and some modest support for local journalism to hundreds of millions of dollars in a budget to suddenly now potentially hundreds of millions more, but this time coming from big tech itself.
1: Yes. Well, like I say, this process really began about 2009 when Rupert Murdoch began demanding that Google... Uh, compensate his newspapers Uh, he's one of the largest owners of newspapers in uh, the UK the US and especially in Australia where he owns about two-thirds of the major uh, daily newspapers and so he used his political power a couple of years ago to prevail upon Australian legislators to pass a it's called a mandatory bargaining code which has resulted in uh, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars, I believe, flowing to the news media there. And uh, while Murdoch doesn't own newspapers in Canada, because, of course, we don't allow foreign ownership, um, he uh, the publishers here jumped on the idea. Uh, they could get uh, Google and Facebook to uh, bail them out uh, after the government uh, bailout. out... Uh, Expired. So uh, it's been going on for a, a long time, but it's it's interesting to to see how it's unfolded. There was actually a a paper that was written by uh, Richard Stursberg uh, for Rogers a few years ago. You probably remember, floating the idea of tax credits. Well, that that has become a full blown uh, newspaper lobby, which uh, Stursberg. Uh, chronicled in his book, The Tangled Garden, which uh, quite delightfully uh, blows the whistle on the whole uh, lobbying campaign.
0: You mentioned lobbying. And one of the things that's been pretty striking about this legislation for anyone, certainly that's been paying pretty close attention, has been this intense, persistent lobbying campaign for government intervention. Now, part of the book describes you know the blurry a number of lobbying efforts, including what I think is a blurring of editorial and business. It's something I experienced myself directly, and and you talk a, a bit about how some of those kinds of things have played out. Can can you describe it a bit further? It's it's one of those odd things that, in certain respects, some of it is is happening is you know is hiding in plain sight. If you take a look at the at the how newspapers have used or wielded their their own pay their own papers their own editorial to try to promote certain. Um, Policy positions, and at the same time, some of it is quite clearly happening behind closed doors, largely out of sight.
1: Yes, well, this has really been the the most difficult part to watch for for me as a longtime journalist. What uh, rankles me is the imbalance of coverage, where it's almost been one hundred percent pro bailouts, uh, and uh, also, uh, as you mentioned, the corporate censorship of. Much of the commentary which you've experienced and uh, uh, Professor uh, Winsick at Carleton uh, has experienced, uh, this is really antithetical to the princi- principles of journalism which are provide, to provide for a forum of discussion and uh, balanced coverage. Uh, what we've seen in, in Canada's press over the past uh, couple of years has been uh, nothing resembling balanced
0: many papers or many entities using or wielding some of that power uh, to to promote their views. You also talk about sort of the, the quieter lobbying campaign. Uh, can you talk about some of the figures that have have played a significant role in seeking to influence government policy in that in that way?
1: Yes, well, going back to Stursberg's book, where he talks about being invited by Paul Godfrey, the CEO of Post Media at the time to have dinner with his board of directors to spell out his plan for tax credits. They loved the idea, and so Godfrey set about assembling what I call the newspaper lobby, which involved not only Stursberg, but also came to include uh, Ed Greenspan at the public uh, policy forum. They began working together, and of course the Industry Association News Media Canada. There's been uh, a, quite a quite a lobbying effort. The post media executives having many uh, meetings with uh, bureaucrats in Ottawa. But the main breakthrough came when they hired a very high-powered lobbyist in Ottawa, Isabel Metcalf. It was at one point uh, she was ranked the second most powerful lobbyist in the capital. And uh, she was able to get right into the corridors of power and meet with actual cabinet ministers, not just ministerial aides. And very quickly, thereafterwards, you got the $595 million bailout.
0: In some ways, this sort of brings us, I think, a full circle. You know, we started our conversation talking about major debts that companies like a company like Post Media faced. In its effort to both reduce its costs, which have led to the layoffs, which then create a a growing momentum for government intervention. And the company's anxious to see that kind of government intervention. And the biggest, so the crowning achievement, at least so far and all of that quite clearly, is Bill C-18. So there's going to be a period of developing regulations. It's going to take perhaps as much as six months to see that play out. We already have meta- Saying that their platforms, Facebook and Instagram, will be out. Uh, reports of Google seeking to find some sort of compromise on this. I guess to to wrap up, my question for you is: in light of your longstanding work, both the, this latest book, the Post Media Effect, but some of the some of the prior books that you've done, really chronicling the evolution of of this industry in Canada now for several decades, do you think this is the end of the line for government involvement and the kind of lobbying for support that we see, or Are we destined to see the same companies make basically the same arguments in search of more external funding down the road, whether it's other platforms that aren't currently included in this? You know, TikTok, for example, comes to mind or new technologies such as ChatGPT and generative AI and sort of destined to relitigate some of the same kinds of questions as the companies go back to the same playbook, basically seeking even more funds this time from different pockets.
1: Oh, well, I don't think this is the end of it at all. I think we're in for a, a very interesting few years because uh, uh, Meta and Facebook, they've already promised to stop carrying links to Canadian news stories and I, I don't think they're going to blink this time as they did in Australia because down there they only restored uh, the service after they were uh, given the provision to opt out uh, entirely and I, I don't think that's going to happen here and so the question becomes, what's Google going to do? In the meantime, Post media is in a crash dive, and they're facing bankruptcy. I'm told their credit may run out as early as uh, September, and at which point they'll be unable to pay their uh, suppliers be unable to print their editions or pay their staff, and uh, they'll uh, start going out of business unless the government again bails them out, which in the book I warn against because I think the only way to get rid of the hedge funds which have their hooks so deeply into post-media is to let it go bankrupt and uh, start afresh. Hopefully the publications themselves could be rescued and returned to uh, local ownership, but I think we're in for a very interesting few years indeed
0: sounds to me like uh, there'll be plenty of fodder for another book down the road uh, as you continue to examine this sector you know mark the the book as i say post media effect extremely interesting and really for anyone that is kind of caught up right now in bill c18 i think it does a as a pretty amazing job of of seeing the bigger picture and putting some of the pieces together of how we found ourselves here so so thank you for that and thank you so much for joining me on the podcast
1: it was my pleasure
0: That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to LawBites at P.O. Follow the podcast on Twitter at LawBitesPod or Michael Geist at M. Geist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron Leboy.